Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, we are already on the third Sunday of Advent. I feel like that happened fast. I also feel like I don't have a ton of space up here. Um, I'll, I'll get over it. Um, third Sunday of Advent as we you know, wait for Christmas and this remembrance of Christ coming by as we also wait for the fullness of what we believe God wants to do in our lives and in our community. You know, sometimes... I'll get my kids ready to go and do something and be like standing right by the door and I'll say, hold on, I just need to grab one more thing. Don't move, then we're going to leave. Or we're getting ready to watch a TV show in the evening and say, guys, I still need to finish making your lunches for tomorrow. Wait, wait a minute, don't start the show without me. I'll be right back. Basically, hold on, I'll be right back. And when I come right back, are they holding on? No, no, they are not. They have scattered to the four corners of the house, started new activities. We're 10 minutes into the TV show, and they tell me blatantly it's because you were going to, quote unquote, take forever. Apparently, I am not worth waiting for. And I resent it because it might be true. We wait for things because maybe, number one, we promised, we're obligated to, or we have to. We don't have any other option. We have to wait on the guy who has the key to get in. There's not another choice. Or there are other choices, and they're just not, they're not good enough. They're not satisfactory substitutes. If I go to Starbucks and they are out of the particular coffee, toasted almond mocha blend thing, do I wait for them to refresh it? Well, it depends. If I promised you that I would get you that particular drink, then yes. If the only other things available are decaf, then yes. If it's just me, I'm probably good with almost anything else they have. For important things. You know, we we wait for a spouse because we know that we would be miserable married to that ex-boyfriend. We may think we don't have any other options, but the reality is there are single guys and girls out there. We don't think that we're holding on for, for Mr. Right necessarily, but we know that Mr. Wrong is not an acceptable choice. When we wait for God, it means that we are claiming something as a higher good without actually having that good thing. Waiting on God means that we are committed to God, that what we want from God, no one else can actually do for us. And we are not going to substitute in otherworldly options. We're holding on for God. And waiting is a normal human thing. We all wait. You wait for your grades to be posted. You wait for a promotion. Even without the problems and disappointments of this broken world. I mean, Adam and Eve waited in the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect. Adam had to wait for a partner to be made for him. Adam and Eve waited in the garden for for God to come and walk with them. Waiting is a part of life. And if we never wait for God, 
we will settle for human substitutes. If we never wait for God, we will settle for human substitutes. If we don't wait on on God, our life will be worldly, not godly. Waiting isn't just about what we don't have, our, our losses, our problems. It's not about just deprivation. Waiting is about what we hope to have, our our gains, our greater goods. It's about expectancy. And in God, we have a lot to expect, and we will also, guaranteed, have some things to wait for. So let's pray, and then we'll turn to the Word of God. Jesus, this morning we come before you. Just as we are with the busyness of this season— with our hopes, with what we want for Christmas, with what we want for today. We ask, Jesus, that you would meet us right here in this sacred space, right here in the sacred space of our hearts with you. And Lord God, would you teach us today how to wait for you, how to hold on for what you have for us. Lord God, would your word speak truth to our lives? We, we open our, our minds, our actions to let your word be the determining factor, Jesus. To let your word encourage uh, and comfort us and to let your word decide things in our life today. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for loving us and speaking to us. Would you just sit right beside us Stand right beside us, Holy Spirit, and speak truth to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, today we are going to be in one of the Old Testament prophets uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. This is the prophet Micah, who waited for Jesus for a long time, and the people of Israel waited for the coming Messiah for a long time. And the wait did not always go so good. They were not sitting there doing exactly what they were supposed to while they were waiting. Let's see. This is Micah chapter 7. It says, How miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. It's a big letdown, a big disappointment. Not a single cluster of grapes or a single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left on the earth. They are all murderers, setting traps even for their own brothers. Both their hands are equally skilled at doing evil. Officials and judges alike demand bribes. The people with influence get what they want, and together they scheme to twist justice. Things are not going well. You're working so hard and not seeing fruitful like produce from your hard work. Relationships are are broken. Even the best of people is like a briar. The most honest is as dangerous as a hedge of thorns. But now judgment day is coming swiftly. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not even your best friend or your wife, for the son despises his father, the daughter defies her mother, the daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your own household. 
It's really honest about how broken things are right now. And then he says, but as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me. And my God will certainly hear me. Do not glow over me, my enemies. Though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered. The Lord will bring me into light. I will see his righteousness. Then the enemies will, my enemies will see that the Lord is on my side. They will be ashamed that they taunted me, saying, So where is your God now? With my own eyes, I will see their downfall. In that day, Israel, your cities will be rebuilt. Your borders will be extended. He's remembering the promises that God made to him to make Israel a great nation, to bless them so that they can bless others. People from many lands will come and honor you from Assyria all the way to the towns of Egypt, from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. O Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Lead your flock, your special possession. Though they live alone in a thicket on the heights of Mount Carmel, let them graze in fertile pastures of Bashan and Gilead as they did long ago. Yes, says the Lord. Yes, I will do mighty miracles for you, like those I did when I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. He's remembering kind of like the foundational miracles that the Lord did. He's remembering what God has done. All the nations of the world will stand amazed at what the Lord will do for you. They will be embarrassed at their feeble power. They will cover their silent, their mouths in silent awe. Uh, Deaf to everything around them, like snakes crawling out of their holes, they will come out to meet the Lord our God with fear and trembling. Where, Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? There's no one else like God. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love once again you will have compassion on us you will trample our sins under your feet throw them into the depths of the ocean you will show us your unfailing love and faithfulness as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago you know friends I like passages like this Anyone who thinks that the Bible is boring is wrong. Um, It's so complex. It's just all right out there. And the person talking here, it's it's not just Mike. It's not just Tim. I mean, he doesn't, he's got problems, but he hasn't got all those problems. It's a composite that kind of represents the whole person of Israel. The person of Israel was one, one person all together. And he starts out by seeing their sin. And that sin has left them impoverished and destroyed relationships. Individual sin and communal sin. You know, sin may feel nice for a little while, but it doesn't, doesn't make us happy in the long term. It's destroyed and broken them down. They're kind of like crumpled down is the picture of who they are. And Micah is so repentant 
over their sin, so, so sorry for it. But then he turns to remembering God and remembering God's promises, the promises like to Abraham to make them a great people, the promises to build them in, into a mighty nation, the constant promises all the time to never leave them or, or forsake them. He remembers and prays God's promises to shepherd them like a good shepherd because there is no one else like God, no one else who shows, who's always forgiving, nobody else whose favorite activity is to show love and compassion, no one else who keeps their promises like God does. Micah sees the problems. He sees the, the horrors of the nation's disobedience and how far they've gone wrong and how broken they are. But he, and he sees God's judgment for that. But he also remembers God's promises and, and character. And he sees God's salvation like looming up in the distance. He knows it's like right there, right outside the door waiting to, to come in. And verse 7 is really the turning point. In verse 7 he says, We're not just sitting in our sin, in our failure, in our problems and our shame. We're looking to God. We're, we're waiting for him, standing in his promises. He says, I'm staying right here. I ain't budging because God is going to move. And this passage moves from complaint to confidence, for, from problems to promises because of who God is. Friends, we do stand on the promises of God. We don't ignore our problems, but our problems are temporary. God's promises is what remains what endures. God's promises is what we can take to the bank in our lives. The uh, author, Tyler Satin, he wrote a book on prayer, and he says that our prayers are not in reaction to circumstances. Our prayers are in response to God's promises. The truth, the truth of our situation, the truth of your life, the truth of, of my, my week is God's word. My problems come and go. We, we don't ignore them. But what we want to do is we want to, to bring our problems, present them before God, acknowledge what's going on, be real and honest. And then we want to pray God's promises over that. We want to lay hold of and lay claim to what God says, the truth of his word, and what he wants to do. And I think that this really encourages us and helps us to pray. Because sometimes we go to God, and our prayers sound something like, Oh God... I have this bill and this problem and I'm so stressed out over money and did you know that this bill is that much and that I make this much and you see how the math works out and fix it, please. Now listen, I think God has actually very low standards for what he considers an acceptable prayer. I think he accepts just about every single mediocre prayer that comes his way. But... That doesn't mean that there aren't better ways to pray. When we go before God and we say, God, I believe your promises that you would plant my family here, that we would be stable and secure, that my family can grow up and be rooted. And right now, money-wise, we are very insecure. We just, I pray your promises and your provision over that. Or when we go before God and say, God, I believe that 
you want to bless me to bless others, and uh, I'm having a really hard time being generous financially. Look at the, the spreadsheet. And we start preying on God's promises and holding on to God's promises. Something changes in us, and something changes in our circumstances. That is productive work in prayer. That is productive work in prayer, uh, to pray God's promises over our problems. The promises of God are what we claim and what we live into, not the threats of this world. But how do, we, how do we claim stuff? If you've been around Christian circles, maybe you've heard somebody say something like, well, I asked God for a raise at work, and now I'm going to wait for him to get me the money. And I always hear things, and maybe I'm just not as spiritual as some of y'all, but I hear things like that, and I think, really? Is that how it works? Because if that's how it works, all of us should have a lot more money. We don't get what we want just because we asked God for it. We get what God wants because we ask God for what he wants. And when we ask him for what he desires over our lives, then we act like it. Because here's what happens. As, you know, I'm doing lots of examples today. Sometimes we can go pray for something. So, for example, um, I mean, my family never has any conflict out of our family, but just hypothetically, if I was to go to God and say, God, there's just been a lot of fighting and arguing and then the little bickering, and I just, I really want you to bring harmony and peace and unity to my home. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. And then you open the door to, you know, the bedroom or wherever else you huddle for those quick little prayers, you know, the bathroom, and they're like, okay, I'm ready, I'm going back out. And you see the socks on the floor, like you asked a million times for it not to be, so then I yell, so then they yell, and it's like I never even prayed. We're right back to the same thing. What we want to do is we want to pray and believe it. We want to pray and then act like it's true. So you go out, you see what, whatever, and they say, no, I prayed for unity and harmony, so I'm going to believe that in them and act like it in me. Because belief is not just passive, wishful thinking. Belief changes how we act and how we respond. When we believe that God is bringing harmony and unity to our homes, it changes us and it starts to change our surroundings. We pray for it and then we claim it by living into it, by believing that it's true. And of course, we don't claim what we want. We claim what God wants. We don't wait for what we want. We wait for what God wants. We're not waiting on stuff. We're waiting on God. We're not waiting on, on an event to happen. We're waiting for God to move. Friends, in your circumstances, what's God's promise? In your problem, in whatever it is that you take to God, we're like, oh, help me fix it. What's God's promise over that? And what does God want? 
I try and start my most desperate prayers by saying, God, what do you want? And then when I know what God wants, let's go. I got a high like, accelerator button. If I know what God wants, then we can pray into it and live into the promises of God. Um, about a year or so ago, I uh, did something that may or may not be a good idea in general. I started a little home improvement project, guys. Uh, I wanted to uh, build some shelves. And uh, so my dad, he, he's got a garage stuffed with stuff that could be built into shelves. He has things that I don't know what they are called a lathe, a band saw. So I asked him to help me. And he said yes, because he's a very nice guy. But then life got busy on our end, on their end. They didn't come up to Westboro for a little while. So I decided to do it myself. We had some leftover wood. And it looked like it wasn't that strong. And that I could definitely cut it with a bread knife. You know, one of those like serrated strong knives. Like really guys, it does a number on, on a loaf of sourdough bread. It just saws right through. About 45 minutes later, I came back in from the garage and decided to wait on my dad. I think all of us have had the experience of taking matters into our own hands. Saying, you know what? I will just do it myself. But waiting, waiting holds that place open. Waiting keeps that place ready and open and strong for the right thing, for God to move. Three, three or four years ago, me and my family were living in a, a fairly small apartment. It was a, a two-level um, houses, first-floor apartment, second-floor apartment. We were in the first-floor half. Um, there was a single woman living above us, and uh, she would complain uh, about how the apartment was too small for her. So I didn't give her that much sympathy since we had two kids and a dog. And... Um, Housing prices are not low in this region of the country. We're like, how is this going to, to work out? We put in offers for a couple of places where, I mean, we, we knew we weren't going to get it. Um, and so we, we'd put in offers for about a year and a half. And uh, oldest kid was starting, going to be a teenager soon. And it was, it was quite cozy. And so he said, well... We could get a bigger apartment. We can afford a bigger, more expensive apartment. That would drain our money, but that might be a good stopgap measure. I said, nope. We're going to keep that space open. We're going to hold out and hold on for the better thing. Um, I feel like God really provided. It's kind of um, an amazing story. Um, we, we bought a house like two, two years ago. Um, and I really think if we had upgraded to what seemed doable, to what seemed reasonable, nicer, more comfortable, we would have missed out on the blessing of getting the place that we got. How many of us have substituted in our own lives? 
Because it seems nice. It seems reasonable. It seems accommodating. You know, you don't have the steak. Oh, that's fine. I'll take the chicken. No worries. We substitute and accommodate in our own life. You know, we say like, am I finding great joy with Jesus right now? No, I'll just go, you know, watch Netflix and eat chocolate this evening. Is Jesus really my thing? Is this working out great for me? Well, I guess I'll just make my thing, my kids, my career, sports, whatever it is. Substituting just seems so reasonable and accommodating and reasonable. But we have to wait. The Bible tells us that it is godly to wait. It may not be reasonable, but it is faith-filled and godly. And we have to wait to prepare for what God has for us. Now, if you remember growing up, when my parents told me to wait, what they meant was, stop bothering me and go do something else. When God tells me to wait... What he means is, get ready, it's going to happen really soon. When God tells us to wait, what he means is, get ready. Jesus told the story of uh, ten bridesmaids who were told to get ready for an awesome wedding uh, festival parade that was coming to them. They were going to have the lights, the, the lamps. So these ten ladies, uh, they, they go to the spot to meet the wedding party to come in. Five of them were foolish. They didn't bring enough oil to, to be up for the task that they were called to. It's a long wait. Everybody went to sleep. Nothing wrong with sleeping. They hear music in, in far, far off. Oh, it's coming, it's coming. The five foolish ones, oh, hey, we actually aren't ready for, for this at all. Could you loan us some of that oil for your lamps to, to light up? The five smart ones said, you know, we really have enough for, for this. We don't have, have enough for you guys. And we're just so focused on this event that's going to happen. Run to the store and get some extra. So the, the five unprepared ones went to the store. When they come back, the party has already started. The doors are locked and they're locked out. What did those five girls do that, that was so wrong? All of them slept. It was a long wait. That's not the problem. What those five ladies did not do right is that they didn't have enough oil for the event. In essence, they were saying, we don't think this is going to happen. We are not prepared. We haven't taken any action for this to actually happen. They didn't act like it was going to happen. When we wait for God's promises... When we wait, when we hold out for God's promises, what we are saying is, I think that this is actually going to happen. And friends, let me tell you, when we wait for God, we do see what God wants to have happen. When we hold out for God, what he wants happens in our life. We can rely on that. Are we willing to hold out for what God wants? And friends, sometimes I just feel like we're so ready to settle. We're so willing to substitute. That is not what I want for myself. That's not what I want for you, for us. Just pray with me right now. 
Jesus, we do not want to settle or to substitute. Would you give us hearts today that hold on tenaciously with faith and expectancy for what you have, for the goodness, the fullness, the amazingness of what you have, believing in your good things, holding out for your good things, even though we do not see it yet. Would you minister over us to not settle or compromise? to not settle or compromise. Just receive that and pray into that, friends. And friends, where we have settled and compromised, Jesus says, hey, get ready. Wake up your hearts to what Jesus has for you. Last thought for us today. Um, we need to rely on God's promises, not react to our problems. In culture and society, there's a lot of reacting to our problems. We get so frustrated and emotional and, you know, anxious, impatient. We react to our problems, and usually like in a split second. As Christians, we should be very relaxed. I think Jesus was relaxed God is in control. God has good things for me. He keeps his promises. He's 100% reliable. We're good. We aren't reactive to our problems. We're relying on God's promises for our good and our flourishing. And sometimes, guys, the greater the promise, the bigger the gap. The prophets, they waited for thousands of years to see God's promises come true. Guys, the best things in my life I have waited for years and years for. Really, the best things have all been at a multiple year marker. Years and years to adopt our girls. Some of you have waited decades for, for career and calling, decades for restoration in your family. The prophets waited and waited and waited. And then they died. And then others waited and waited generations. After, you know, a couple years, obvious conclusions can be drawn. After a hundred years, a thousand years, that's just ridiculous. What did the prophets actually accomplish in their life? They did, were not the ones who built big temples. They were not the ones who, who led the, the nation in uh, uh, governance. The prophets believed God and waited. That was their accomplishment. They believed God and they waited. And friends, that I believe can be our accomplishment too. That we believe God and we hold out to see God's promises in our life. Christmas tells us that God keeps his promises and that he's worth waiting for. God has kept his promise in Jesus Christ. He has come to us he has worked the fullness of his salvation in his death and resurrection. And he is worth waiting for. Let's stand together. I'm going to move into a time of worship. God keeps his promises. He's worth waiting for. And we want to keep that space in our lives open to be filled by him. 
Let's pray. Yes, Jesus. We believe that you always do your part. Always do your part. And right now we do our part. We believe, we trust you. We reassure us of your character, your love, your steadfastness, your goodness, your goodness that is higher than our goodness. You you know about things we don't even comprehend. Your ways are greater than ours. And we believe, Jesus, that while we wait, you work. While we wait, you work. You work our salvation. You work our redemption. And you are working all things together for our good. I'm reminded of Isaiah 40. It says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up as on eagle's wings. They will run and not get weary. Doing things in our own strength is exhausting. Pushing against the... uh, Doing the things in your strength, Jesus, encourages us, plants hope and faith in our hearts, Jesus. So we will wait on you. We will keep our eyes fixed on you today and always. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.